when you think about the work of Jesus on the cross, it is both pardon, it's atonement, but it's also a victory. And it's the crushing of, of Satan's head. It's the undoing of the curse. It's, it's the beginning of the unraveling of sin. So in, there's another sense in which this is two sides of the same coin. To say, rise, take up your mat and walk, and to actually perform that miracle, or to say your sins are forgiven, both of those are taking us to Calvary. You know, and, and it's going to be through the cross that the world's going to be made new. And it's going to be through the cross that our sins are going to be forgiven. You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church, where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. We're back here at the chopping block, and uh, we're in a new series, which is really fun, post-Easter. Just essentially, uh, I don't know what our exact title is, Three Questions for Jesus uh, from Mark chapter 2. Andy kicked us off last week with Mark 1 through 12, talking about the healing of the paralytic, uh, which we'll get into in just a moment. And Next week, we're looking at the call of Levi and Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. So I'm just excited about a series to help people kind of see more of who Jesus is and uh, reveal, hopefully, kind of sit in his real, true identity. Um, and uh, we'll get more to what that is and what, what Mark 2 is revealing about the identity of Christ this morning. But, man, it's a fun story. You start with kind of Jesus, you kind of mentioned growing fame. Uh, you know, this is early on in his public ministry, and he is um, been preaching and teaching and healing, and now he's back in kind of this hub for his ministry, which is Capernaum, not Capernaum, or Capernaum. Capernaum. <laughs> and you mentioned, you know, potentially and most likely at Peter's house. Right. Uh, and... But, you know, for the person who's never read the Gospels before, doesn't know much about Jesus, talk about his growing fame. Why, you know, talk about this room may have had 75-plus people in it. Why are the different groups there to to see Jesus that day? You know, Jesus wasn't the first guy to come along, um, certainly as a rabbi. I mean, that was very common yeah. um, for religious leaders, Um called rabbis to call disciples, pupils to learn underneath them, um, to be essentially an apprentice. Um, and a yoke, we, we read Jesus saying at one point, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, take my yoke upon you. Will you? That was a metaphor for like a, a teaching, right? So, But that teaching was um, really associated with a way of life, mm-hmm. almost like, you know, in this very, um, both in the Jewish and in the Greek worlds, like wisdom literature yeah. um, and philosophy was big. And so um, when you take someone's yoke, you're learning their their way of life. It's a philosophy for life. And so Jesus arises as this itinerant teacher. Yeah. Um, 
You know, Mark tells us that he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, which means that he was saying that the kingdom was dawning, that it had arrived. And what he was really saying was that it had arrived in him, Mm -hmm. that he was the king of the kingdom who had come to usher God's kingdom in, which is an implicit messianic claim right there. Yeah. He's saying, I'm the long awaited, you know, Messiah who comes in the line of David, who comes to usher in God's kingdom. And so Jesus is teaching. And, and one of the things that we pick up on in the gospels is that Jesus's teaching was different. Mm -hmm. And so the language Mark uses is that he was teaching with authority. Um, and, and that can mean a couple of things. One is just that his teaching was, was poignant and, and very distinct, yeah. different from these other rabbis or, you know, there were even false messiahs who came along, you know, claiming to be God's, God's chosen one. Um, Jesus was different. His teaching was poignant, but it was also authoritative in the sense that it was accompanied with miracles and healings. Yeah. So he's casting out demons and he's performing miracles. And that's why his fame is growing as they're going, man, this guy walks the talk. Like there's some crazy things happening here. So you kind of mentioned, then we're, we're in this scene in Capernaum, you know, again, most likely in Peter's house, and, and there's a crowd there kind of overflowing the house. And you mentioned there's, there's probably lots of reasons why people are in this room. You, have, you probably have some true disciples, true believers that are there because they're starting to follow him as rabbi as, and, and maybe starting to believe in him as Messiah. Um, but then you have the scribes, which we, we, we see and we'll get into a moment, that's there maybe just to figure out what's going on with this guy and how they might denounce his teaching, as you mentioned. And then, but if we're honest, there's probably a lot of people in this room that are just like, man, I'm just interested to see who this guy is. Sure. I've heard, I've heard stories. There's some intrigue. What's going on here? Um, and, and, you know, and sometimes that's how a lot of people come to Jesus first. You know, we've probably all found, our, found ourselves in situations where it's like, you know, word spreading about whether that's, you know, an entertainer, a, right. a, a musician, a you know, whatever, where it's like, man, I'll go check it out. This is kind of fun where there's, there's kind of this growing intrigue. Um, and I think that was a lot of the people. One of the things that's interesting in the gospels, I think, uh, John especially does this, but I think it's there in all of the gospels is John in particular, but we see it here in this scene in Mark's gospel, um, is, is playing with the idea of the crowd versus the disciples. Yeah. Um, where there there is this kind of larger group who's intrigued by Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, John really teases this out with with the way that he, at multiple levels, deals with the idea of belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and so John will say they believed in him, but then it's it's not necessarily a true belief or an enduring belief. You know, John uses language like they believed in him, but for fear of the religious leaders, they you know they w- they wouldn't follow him. Um, and so it's like there's a belief, but it's not a true belief. There's there's all kinds of level of belief that John's playing with here, but he he's he really plays with that idea. But I think you see it here in Mark too, where there's this crowd that's gathered. Some of them are true, like Jesus has already called some of right. his disciples. Some are believers. Yeah, some are there because they're interested, mm-hmm. they're intrigued. Um, so maybe we might categorize them as seekers. Yeah. Um, and then there's clearly this third group of religious leaders who their default is skeptical mm-hmm. and 
that is only going to further manifest by the end of three, they're conspiring to go, we got to get rid of this guy. Yeah. And into this kind of crazy scene, uh, walks these four friends and their friend who's a paralytic, a paralyzed man. And really just a beautiful, radical, unashamed, uh, other adjectives you want to use, scene of these friends trying to get their friend to Jesus. And, uh, of course, the room's overflowing. There's probably already people standing outside the house listening in, so there's no way to get near Jesus. And they decide, well, we're going to do whatever it takes. And they go up and they start pulling back the roof to lower their friend down to Jesus. You just imagine what everybody's thinking as this is happening, right? It is interesting. So single-story house, right? Mm -hmm. There would have been wooden beams, I think, going across the top, and then it would have been covered with thatch. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think commentators said, because the language that Mark actually uses, they peeled back the tiles. Oh, yeah. And so there was some debate, like, is that accurate? Um, But he could have meant one of two things. One is, like, they would... They would use thick mud and they would actually roll it to compress it, and so it was it was so packed and hardened it was tile like and certainly as the sun then you know beat down on it, it would grow hard, yeah, but there was also tile in 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 wealthier homes there was actually ceramic tile, mm-hmm. and so it could have been either, but like they literally climb up on a house not their own and start pulling back the roof um they're that eager and desperate to get their friend to the feet of Jesus. Yeah. And you kind of mentioned it, but it's just fun to think about what Jesus face looked like in the scene. I mean, you know, maybe the there's, I don't know, the the legalist religious person who's like, Oh man, what are they doing? They're disrupting worship. Right. (laughs) They're disrupting the teaching. Right. And, but you know, Jesus like, Oh man, now this is faith that I can use. Give me four guys like this and I can change the world. We see this pretty consistently in the Gospels where Jesus loves this kind of aggressive display. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, the Syrophoenician woman, the the Gentile soldier, you know, where Jesus praises that kind of faith and says, I haven't found this kind of faith in all of Israel. Right. Um, and here we see it again. Yeah, you... you you have to know Jesus is loving it. Mm. Yeah, and there's a lot more we want to say about the friends maybe here at the end, but but I think we know, at least we, we, we believe we're observing as they're lowering him down, that their desires for their friend to be physically healed, right? to be no longer paralyzed. Mm. They've heard about this guy. Maybe they have some real faith in who he is as a teacher, but for sure they've heard that he heals, and, and man, we believe this guy can change our friend's life. Yep. And so they lower him down. But then Jesus says, he looks at them, sees their faith, and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Which in some ways feels, I mean, to, to some readers might go, that's like a slap in the face. Like this guy's sitting here being lowered down. He's paralyzed. He obviously has a desire here. But 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 you say your sins are forgiven. Why? Why is this Jesus' first Right statatement you talk about imagining Jesus's face. It's fun to imagine the paralytic's face when right. Jesus says that, like right, it's not why I'm here, you know, yeah, um, yeah, you know what we saw in the sermon was like Jesus is wanting to take him and take 
his friends deeper. Yeah. That there is a deeper need um, than even, you know, legs that can walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really challenged by that. I think um, often we go to Jesus um, for the wrong thing. Well, not even the wrong thing, but... Um, not the main thing. Not the main thing. Yeah. Um, and I think... I think that's really the essence of what's going on here mm-hmm. in this episode um, is Jesus is going fundamentally, you have a deeper need, yeah, which is to have your sins forgiven, to be reconciled to God. Um, I think that's a word for us in the church mm-hmm. um, in how we think about ministry. I think the beautiful reality of this story is Jesus clearly cares about both. Yeah. He does end up healing this this man. Um, and I think as the church, we're called to care about both. I think you can end up in a ditch in either extreme, right, where um, you can become, you know, so focused on physical needs that you're only, like, preaching a social gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly Jesus is course-correcting that here. But I think you can also end up in the other extreme where, uh, you're only focused on soul winning to use that old school term. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're neglecting the, to see people as whole beings. We're embodied souls and our bodies matter. Yeah. And what we see in Jesus is him going, man, what's most important is your relationship with the father and being reconciled to him. What's most important is to have your sins forgiven, mm-hmm. but he also heals him. He loves him, yeah. You know, and and I think that's the the paradigm for us. Yeah, and I think that's a great question just to to gauge regularly. Like, do I believe my greatest need is Jesus, mm-hmm. is forgiveness, reconciliation, but Jesus on a daily basis? And and you know, I think for a lot of us in a modern society, I think the answers no often, and I think even for a lot of Christians, the answers he's a need. He's a he's one need among many, but he. I don't know that I always see him as my greatest need. And, and, you know, honestly, I think those who, um, I think the poor, the marginalized, the sick actually do this better a lot than, and understand this better a lot than suburban America, mm-hmm. you know, and we're not always paralyzed looking for physical healing, but in a lot of ways, um, you know, people who live like where I live don't have a lot of needs, physical needs. Yep. Um, that we don't feel the weight of of our own even spiritual need at times because you know, I haven't murdered anybody, I haven't stolen from someone, I haven't done anything. So makes I, me I, think of the the uh, you know the the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple, right? You know, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men and I do all these religious things. And the you know the tax collector beat his chest, yeah, you know, and cried out to God, wouldn't even look up have mercy on me a sinner. It's like, man, this dude gets it. And oftentimes it is um, those who find themselves, you know, in those desperate situations that more clearly understand yeah. the gospel. You know, as as I was thinking about what you were saying, that often we struggle to see Jesus and his forgiveness as our greatest need. I think one way that we can maybe hold a magnifying glass to that is just to look at our prayer lives. Mm-hmm. What are we praying for? And if we're only coming to Jesus with a list of, you know, 
hear my needs. Yeah. Not that we shouldn't. Jesus tells us to, and I was trying to get around to that in the sermon. Jesus does tell us to ask and to seek and to knock. Right. He teaches us to pray. Uh, give us today our daily bread. Um, you know, he does invite us to bring our needs to him. So I th- please don't hear what I'm saying as a discouragement to do that. But before that, in the prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, let your name be hallowed. Let it be worshipped. Yeah. Your kingdom come and your will be done mm-hmm. on earth as it is in heaven. And I think we often in our prayers skip over uh, where Jesus starts and teaches us to pray. Yeah. First. So I think that's a good gauge for us to press into regularly. Do I, do I view Jesus as my greatest need even today? Yeah. Um, you know, the scribe, it says the scribes hear this and um, they're questioning their hearts. Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? Mm-hmm. And so there's this religious group, religious leaders group in the room who quickly hear what Jesus says and go, oh my, man, this is, this is heresy. This is blasphemy. Yep. Why? Well, one of the things I, I tried to bring out was like, only the, only the, per, the party who's been wronged mm-hmm. can forgive someone else for the wrongdoing that they've done. Right. Um, like a third party can't come along and go, Hey, you're forgiven for what Brett you did to Zach. Like it doesn't work like that. Um, and so when Jesus says, "Son, your sins are forgiven," he's essentially saying, "You've sinned against me. In in all of your sinning, has it's been ultimately against me." Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very clear claim of divinity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so these guys are miffed because you know this dude making himself out to be God, and they're actually right in their assessment. Yeah, They're wrong in what they do with that because they should look at him, then perform the miracle right in front of their face and go, well, maybe he is. Mm-hmm. Maybe he is who he's claiming to be. Um, it's interesting, you know, um, guys like Bart Ehrman, you know, skeptics will often say, Jesus never explicitly claimed to be God. Mm-hmm. Um, if you read the Gospels. And if you're, you know, this is similar to like the argument for the doctrine of the Trinity. The word Trinity is not in Scripture, but the idea is everywhere. Right. And this is one of those clear episodes where Jesus, Jesus is unquestionably claiming to have, you know, d- the divine right to forgive sins, which is why the religious leaders are so upset. Mm-hmm. So he is, you know, you have to make an inductive argument here. But as you begin to read the Gospels and put the pieces together, like Jesus clearly claimed to be the Son of God, I mean, w- without question. And this is one of those stories that that just highlights that for us. Well, and ultimately, you know, as he essentially reads reads the scribes' minds, <laughs> Jedi mind trick there, he does heal the guy yep. uh, as a way to show that he has the authority to forgive sins that signs point to the greater healing that we need. So Brett, which is easier to yeah. say your sins are forgiven or to, to say, rise, take up your mat and walk. <laughs> I don't know. I think for Jesus, my answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> my answer is yes. Uh, the sins seem more costly. 
It costs yeah. a lot more to forgive. It's so interesting reading commentators because they're like, man, this this question has literally puzzled people for 2,000 years. Because right. on the one hand, you know, it's easier to say. If you're talking about what's easier to say, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't empirically prove it. Yeah. Um, it's a lot harder to go, hey, rise, take up your mat and walk because it either happens or it doesn't. But then when you flip it and go, but like if when Jesus speaks, it happens. Mm. So which actually is harder? Well, in terms of the cost. Right. Um, you right. know, it's harder to to forgive sins. But, you know, even that, I, as I was thinking about this, you know, when Jesus performs a miracle, it is this glimpse into the kingdom that's coming. It's mm-hmm. a reverse of the curse. When you think about the work of Jesus on the cross, it is both pardon, it's atonement, but it's also a victory. And it's the crushing of, of Satan's head. It's the undoing of the curse. It's it's the beginning of the unraveling of sin. Amen. So in, there's another sense in which this is two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. To say, rise, take up your mat and walk, and to actually perform that miracle, or to say your sins are forgiven, both of those are taking us to Calvary. Yeah. You know, and, and it's going to be through the cross that the world's going to be made new. And it's going to be through the cross that our sins are going to be forgiven. And so you're kind of getting, you know, the cosmic renewal and, right. and you know, the, the justification of sinners in this same moment, you know, in this episode with Jesus. And he's going, hey, man, I can heal him. I can forgive him. It's taking me to the cross either way. Yeah. And that's what's so fascinating here is Jesus is calling his shot mm-hmm. this early into his ministry. He knows where he's going. That's so good, man. Well, we're running out of time here, but I think just a last thought, an encouragement for for our people and for uh, other other disciples of Jesus out there. I mean, the four friends are a really good model for us. They do anything they can to get their friend to Jesus. And, and a lot of times we don't even see our friends, our neighbors, our unbelieving coworkers that we don't see their greatest need is Jesus. Yeah. And so it, I don't know that we always act with such urgency as these friends do. And they're a really good model for us. Amen. Yep. Yeah. We, I, I think we, we can easily become inoculated to just the realities of our, our greatest need and our neighbor's greatest need is to know Jesus yeah. and to experience his forgiveness and to have his healing touch. And so, Let's live like these guys. Yeah, whatever it takes. If you're going to pull off a roof, pull off a roof. You're ready to pay for it. Yeah. You're ready to pay for it. But yeah, pull it off. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.